This episode of Control Alt Delete is brought to you by Braintree. Even the best mobile app won't work without the right payments API. That's where the Braintree V.0 SDK comes in. One amazingly simple integration gives you every way to pay. But don't take our word for it. Try out the sandbox and see for yourself at braintreepayments.com slash Walt. Hello, and welcome to Control Walt Delete, an increasingly backwards compatible podcast from Verge.com. Uh, uh-huh. uh, uh-huh. I am the editor in chief of The Verge. I'm joined as always by my friend and Verge executive editor, Walt Mossberg. Hey, Walt, how's it going, man? It's going great, Neilai. How are you? I'm good. That intro came to us from uh, Dan Coggins on Twitter. It's at Dan Coggins. So keep sending those in because they're like my favorite. Please things. keep sending them in. I love them. Yeah, they're, they're so I lo- fun. I love them. Uh, so, well, I kind of wanted to – we have some, like, site news to talk about. We, like, rarely talk about site news. Uh, but I wanted to set it up this week uh, because Apple's earnings came out yesterday. Yes, they um, did. And they were pretty rough around the edges. The iPhone upgrade cycle seems to have slowed considerably. Uh-huh. Um, the iPad continues to kind of be flat to down. You know, just like Apple just – they're for the first time in 13 years, they didn't – their revenue and profits didn't grow in, in, in the quarter from the previous year. And in fact, it was down, I think, 13%. And then next to that, I'm not saying these two things ideas are related, but I think they're fun to talk about in the same sentence. We launched Circuit Breaker, which is our gadget blog, which is devoted to the idea that the incredible explosion of mobile devices means that things like fast processors and cheap wireless chips that don't require a lot of power is going to create a new class of gadgets around the phone. It's been like fun for a week. And you actually, in your column this week, looked back at what you call the golden age of gadgets, which was sort of the mid-90s to early 2000s, when everything was getting a chip or a processor connected to a PC, and the ideas of how the stuff would work were all over the map. So I, w- I actually wanted to like link these two ideas because – if on the one hand we're saying the smartphone ride is sort of over, which is, I think is reflected in Apple's earnings, and there's a new ride, we, we should talk about them at the same time, don't you think? I do. Uh, I, I don't think the smartphone ride is entirely over, but I certainly think it's matured. And um, in Apple's particular case, <clears throat> there was this explosion of sales uh, – uh, in, in, two years ago, uh, in this in this quarter, with the when they went to the bigger screens with the iPhone six, and that's just been very hard a very hard compare. Uh, but you know, uh, I was just talking about this on CNBC actually, <clears throat> where they had their one of their reporters talked to Tim Cook, and he said, "Well, it's early innings for the smartphone." I mean. John, uh, John Fort, who you know, who's a reporter there, and I were like, no, it's not early innings. It's not over, but it's not early innings, just like it's not early innings for the PC. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. And then we move on. We move on to VR and AR. We move on to artificial intelligence. We move on to <clears throat> autonomous cars. And we move on to a whole bunch of interesting smaller uh, gadgets and – you know, partly because the the Verge started Circuit Breaker, and I please listeners, th- this is a little bit of a plug, but it's not <laughs> primarily why we keep talking about this. There's something really happening here that happens that that Neilai and and uh, others at the Verge kind of figured out, and so they started a a, a, a blog on the Verge about it. So you, we started this, and I said to myself. Why don't I just – you know, I used to write about this stuff. Why don't I go back and, and and kind of reprise it and talk about what I do think was the golden age of these gadgets. We may – that may get topped mm-hmm. in, the next, in the next five or six years. I don't know, but uh, not yet. And um, I realized that I kind of wrote a version of Circuit Breaker for oh, yeah. many, many years – at the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> what was the original circuit breaker? Well, yeah. I mean, kind of. I was, I was, you know, it was not a blog, but in a, in a way, uh, since it was very personal, I used the first person, and I was judgmental and subjective. It was kind of blog-like 
in the pages of this very staid <laughs> publication, the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, you've got one here. All of these are gold, and we're, we're going to read a few more. But the headlines for the journal in the 90s were just like off the wall. Like they were <laughs> absolutely crazy. Like you've got one here. I think this is a swear word in the headline. <laughs> yeah. A new device makes your no, and then it's just a bunch of symbols, cell phone a little bit smarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's wow. It's like, what was this going for? He's got one here. Um, uh, uh, the CD offshoot is music to the eyes, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, these are, I mean, these are what Walt's talking about is when he's saying the golden age, it's it's like what you're describing is the moment when it seemed like the desktop computer would actually eat everything. And the idea of the phone being the primary computer was just a twinkle in somebody's eye. Right. Um, and so all the, this ecosystem of things around the computer started to grow. Um, and then what happened was everything converged into the phone. So all of that innovation, like, didn't – it just started happening on the screen of the phone fundamentally – but the amount of stuff that you had to review and explain in that, I would say, what, what, what would you say, eight to ten years, was just incredible. Well, it was actually more like four, 14 years of that, I think. But yeah, and remember that at that time, the broader audience, obviously, here's the thing. I decided when I started this column that I was not going to write it for Enterprise. That was one decision because mm-hmm. I think you always have to have a focus, right? So I wasn't going to write it for Enterprise, and I wasn't going to write it for techies and enthusiasts and hobbyists uh, who had other blogs and other things they could go to. And I was going to write it for smart people, uh, accomplished people. I mean, the Wall Street Journal readership then and now is, you know, generally generally trends to uh, accomplished people and generally smart people. But not techies, people who didn't really care about what was inside or how exactly it worked inside. But how was this going to fit into my life? And that required a lot of explaining in those days for that because that was the audience, but also because the audience of average people in 1992 and in 2001 was a lot less sophisticated than the audience of just perfectly average people today. Yeah, everyone now is there everyone has a smartphone and they are really good at understanding how their smartphone works. Yeah. In like surprising ways. So I've got here I was just reading CD offshoot is music to eyes. It's one of your old columns. Uh, November twenty first, nineteen ninety one Walt is explaining to the readers of the Wall Street Journal what a CD ROM is, yep. which is Incredible. A new kind of computer – I'm just going to read it. A new kind of computer disk, identical in appearance to audio compact disks, brings that kind of storage and search capabilities to PCs. Each of these disks, clumsily called CD-ROMs, can hold over 600 megabytes of information, enough to store the contents of an entire encyclopedia. That was a revolution. Oh, it was a total revolution. But as is common with with the industry, when they start something – because this is now – I mean, you know, that – it's kind of gone now, but for a long time, it was huge. And the industry screwed it up. Remember, there was CDR and CD something else. There was plus, NW. there was minus. Yes. I mean, you know. <laughs> oh, my God, the plus and all minus. All that crazy stuff. I totally forgot about that. <clears throat> and I had to devote, you know, just to, nobody cares about this part who's listening to this <laughs> except a few journalists. But if you're a journalist, you're like, particularly in print, you have so many words, and you hate to waste them on a bunch of bullshit, but you had to explain. You didn't want your reader to go into, uh, you know, Comp USA or whatever the store was <laughs> and buy the minus, which wouldn't work with their, you know, Windows, HP Windows something or some yeah. model of the Mac or something, you know, so you had to explain it. Well, you know what's what strikes me about these, and I, I had a great time this morning just like reading a bunch of these and taking notes, but what strikes me uh, about this gadget explosion, and I think it's different than what's happening now, but what strikes me about the columns Walt sent me from the, the early 90s and 2000s and where the innovation was and where the ideas were uh, is that all of these devices were about accessing or organizing information. So – you know, you've got a review of the Sportster modem here, yeah, uh, which was the first 14.4K modem, uh, that which you, is that incredible. You could afford. It wasn't the first one, but it was the first one yeah, it was, you could afford. 
Um, it was only the, 250 the, bucks. The first line from uh, June 3rd, 1993, let us consider the humble modem, which is incredible. Uh, and then one of your conclusions is, in my view, a fast, reliable fax modem should be a standard part of every PC. Um, it's that is just that product is now such a commodity product. Nobody thinks about the fact that actually just connecting to a network required a piece of well, hardware it's that a had chip. to be. It's yeah, a, it's it's, a chi- it's invisible. It's become invisible. It's a chip inside all your devices, especially of course your phone. But it's in your it's in your PC. It's in your uh, uh, watch, probably. I mean, you know, it's in everything, and it's just a chip. But I have a little computer museum in my office, and people come in here who are young uh, to mm-hmm. show me new products from startups and things. And I have one of those Sportsters on the shelf because the, without that Sportster, uh, which happened to be, the, I think, the, the leading consumer brand – I'll probably get tweets saying I'm wrong. But the super people are going to get real pissed at you. Let's say one of the leading consumer (laughs) brands, um, one of them, I'm correcting myself here, uh, tweeters. uh, uh, But people don't know what it is. People, they want to go and look at my little museum because they remember they had a Commodore 64 or, you know, there's an old Mac and an old IBM PC. But there's this Sportster sitting there, and they yeah. don't know what it is. Did U.S. Robotics get bought by Motorola in the end? Is that where they landed? I don't remember, honestly. I, I mean, they bought Palm. There's another whole story with them because they bought Palm. Oh, right. Right? on uh, Palm, which I have two entries about Palm, the Palm Pilot and the Handspring Trio, which is really Palm because it's really the, the people that founded Palm. And Jeff Hawkins, who is this very – brilliant guy who I think gets too little credit in computer history because he invented the first workable pocket computer that anyone bought, that anyone wanted, the Palm Pilot. And then he invented what I think, and I know that Dieter thinks, is our friend Dieter, the the executive editor of The Verge, um, is the, the real predecessor to the iPhone, the real first kind of consumer usable smartphone which was the the trio and uh but you but they ran they had no money no vc would give them money for the palm pilot because they had uh, the vcs had already invested in about six failed <laughs> yeah. uh you know a, a pocket pc type things and so they had to sell themselves to a modem company in skokie illinois Yes. Skokie. Oh, that's what it was. They didn't. They were hometown rivals with Motorola. That's right. Right. So that's Motorola right. was in Schaumburg, and U.S. Robotics was in Skokie. Skokie. This is deep now. That's, that we're is deep in the, the 90s. But, but we're in the Midwest, man. This yeah. is I mean, <laughs> Palm was. This is where I grew up. This Palm is was I, in this an. Is, I remember walking into Palm's office. It was uh, above a Chinese restaurant in maybe Los Altos. I don't know. One of those towns in Silicon Valley. And they were a software company. They tried very hard because they had this Palm OS, this graffiti handwriting system. And they tried it. They actually made it for the Newton. They made it for the Casio Zoomer. They made it for a few of these, the Sharp, maybe one of the Sharps. I don't know. Uh, And they realized- Zorus. The Zorus, yeah. The Sharp Zorus. Oh, I had a column on that too, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, They, uh, I did. I'm not kidding you. Uh, Oh, yeah. They, I just gave you a small selection, man. Uh, (laughs) But but they, Jeff Hawkins uh, and his partner, who I should also mention, Donna Dubinsky, who was kind of the business person and Jeff was the engineer, they realized that, and then they had Ed Colligan, who was another uh, one of the three, uh, uh, who was the sort of marketing guy. Uh, they realized that none of the, none of the hardware was good enough for their operating system they had, so they made their own hardware, kind of reluctantly, and they ran out of money. And in yeah. order to get it to market, they had to sell it to this modem company in Skokie, Illinois, which was That's incredible. So it was a modem company that made pocket computers, but not robotics. E- robots, <laughs> even though its name was U.S. Robotics. <laughs> Well, I mean, so that to me, everything you're describing is every, – there were all these 
pieces of hardware that were quite large that required setup that required you know you had to massage the interface with your PC to make sure everything was talking right. to each other correctly all of that has collapsed into a, a chip on the phone somewhere right and that is the revolution yes it's the modem is now a little chip you you've got a um, a whole column here about digital cameras from 1991 where it, you can take 32 black and white photos that is now a chip the very high end very powerful chip on your phone 32 black and white photos for $995. Operating one of these new digital cameras, this is uh, December 12, 1991. Operating one of the new digital cameras couldn't be simpler. Simply charge up the battery, take it wherever your subjects are, and snap as many as 32 photos. You then pop the camera into a small base unit plugged into your computer and launch the special software that extracts the pictures from the camera's built-in memory chips and sends them to the computer memory. I mean, the amount of fundamental explanation that you're doing here is incredible. And then you get a really crappy black and white picture. (laughs) I think I mentioned in that column that... For $1,000. During my tests, one of the cameras, and this was not made, this camera, none of these was made by Apple, but one of the cameras was hooked up to my Mac like overnight, and I got up in the morning and found that it had just taken pictures all night (laughs) until it ran out. Hey, you know, it's an early new feature. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But so all this stuff, this is what I'm saying, all of this stuff is about taking information, making it digital, storing it in some way, and then accessing it in some way. Yeah, I mean, uh, there is some communication. I mean, the, the, right, the so, modem so and the, the trio modem, are communicating, but yeah. But the trio is like a, you know, fundamentally an organizer, right? You write on it, you put your dates, and there was no, it didn't have any cellular connectivity at the time. That was the Palm oh, Pilot. The I'm tr- sorry, the you're trio right, the Pilot. was a phone. The Trio was a phone. And yeah, it yeah, even okay. could kind of surf the web. Yeah, I remember that browser. I mean, Dieter's going to get so mad at me that I just confused the pilot and the trio. Yeah, but I w- Dieter is, yeah. He's going to get – he was – I mean, the man ran TrioCentral.com for this. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. One of my favorite websites. Anyway, all I'm saying is in that moment, that was the organizing principle of the innovation. How do we store more information on a CD-ROM? How do we collect more information with the f- first digital camera? How do we transmit the information over a Sportster? How do we bring it with us in a PDA or a phone? You've got a great review here of uh, a clip-on organizer for the StarTac cell phone, mm-hmm. yeah. which is was basically just another screen that like literally clipped on the back. What we're, fundamentally, it was about information. Now, yeah. I think in this moment... Those problems, I wouldn't call them solved, but they are they are close to solved at a degree where the big questions about them are no longer open, right? How do we store our information? Well, almost all of it's going to be in the cloud, and yeah. the amount of local storage available to you is so enormous as to be, you know, almost unlimited. Uh, how are we going to access stuff? Well, we know Wi-Fi and cell modems. Um, I haven't thought about the speed of the LTE network in quite some time, right? Like right. you have a review here of, of PCS cell phone service. Um, we tracked the progression from edge to 3G to to 4G, I'm making air quotes, to 4G to LTE very closely because mobile broadband speeds were so incredibly important. Now it's like the LTE is really fast almost everywhere I go. Um, it you know it's it's mobile broadband so it's not perfect it's too expensive whatever but it's kind of a commodity in that way. Um, the cameras and phones are good, better, getting better. I'd say I actually think they're great. Yeah, I mean I you know like I I'm picky about cameras so that I can, I always think they should be better but they're terrific. Like we take and we take and share more more photos now than at any point in human history. So we've solved all these like information problems that used to require dedicated little pieces of hardware. We've collapsed them all into a phone. So my question to you in this brave new world of gadgets that we're seeing starting to develop, what do you think the organizing principle of that is? Well, I don't know if there is going to be one organizing principle, but if there is, well, I'm going to cheat and give you two. One is going to be mobility. And mm-hmm. and by that, I don't mean mobile devices, uh, which we sometimes use the word mobility to refer to smartphones and tablets and things like that, but real, real, in real life mobility. So cars uh, that are essentially computers that go on the road uh, and drones are two good examples. So physical mobility uh, that either carries people or carries cameras or God forbid weapons <laughs> you know, I just don't want you to get a drone with a missile 
Just let oh. me just say that. But I've been um, working on one in my spare time. I know, yeah. I know. Uh, so that's one. And then I, th- I think the other one is going to be uh, the fusion of real life IRL, you know, in real life, <laughs> with uh, with virtual uh, virtual life. So that's augmented reality to some extent. Virtual reality, I suppose, is entirely virtual. But you know what? It's so early. But if I had to place a bet, I think the bigger deal is going to be augmented reality, to be really honest. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot. I think they're both going to be big deals. But I think the bigger deal is going to be augmented reality because because you'll be able to, you'll be able to, assuming they can get it to the size of a regular pair of glasses, which is going to take years, uh, you'll be able to go through the world uh, having your experiences augmented by that in a way that it, it, it's funny. If you think about it, Google Glass not only was not attractive, but I think they didn't think boldly enough uh, because they were just sort of replicating what was on an Android phone in that little uh, camera viewer thing on the on the glasses. But I think r- real augmented reality, which, by the way, I'm, I mean, I'm sure Google will be a big player in, so I'm not knocking Google. But um, those are two big themes that I can see from the vantage point of, of uh, April 2016. Right. And I think they're going to play out over, over, over 10 years. But we're also going to get a lot of goofy stuff, you know, hover, <laughs> h- hoverboards and, and uh, pet food dispensers that you can – uh, control from an iPhone. We uh, we have a piece this morning by our, uh, our colleague Katie Barrett about a thing that uh, an app that un- with a with a little device that goes with it that unleashes aromas, scent, yeah. scents. It's just like the holy grail, the, <clears throat> right? And the guy the smart the smart smell. But the guy behind it is a re- is a real scientist who did things like inhaled insulin for diabetics, mm-hmm. and but he believes that. You can actually uh, ch- uh, do medical things and health things and mood things from this. So some kind of – I don't know. But it, it, I think a lot of it is mixing real-life things like the sense of smell, which is underdeveloped in our species, with with gadgets. Yeah. It's almost it, – you know, it's we've, – we've done all of the hard work of – figuring out how to collect store transmit information and now it and we've col- and all of that converged into the phone like in a really fundamental way and yeah. now i think what we're seeing is a real conversation about what that information should be beyond you know text and video on a web page it's what would it be like uh, we have this video this silly thing you're talking about the dog treat robot it's not it's a camera and a speaker um and a, literally a slingshot that, like, shoots a dog treat out so you can play with your dog while you're right. in your office. It's obviously dumb. But just go with me on this. What it is is a decision. <laughs> I read it. I don't know. We read it. We, there's a great live video. I've, we have a video with puppies on the website. Yeah, you yeah, know, in terms yeah. of, Who in terms of like web traffic, puppies? we're doing everything that we can. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> – if you can, one you of the puppies is actually named Clickbait. I think I'm not sure. But. <laughs> That's a great name for a dog. Yeah. If anybody out there gets a new dog and names it Clickbait, uh, we will feature you on the show. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll call you up. We'll, we'll interview about it. Um, but if you think about it much more broadly, what that is is a decision that we can use all of our tools and have you go home and interact with. A dog, which is crazy, it's it is telepresence in the silliest way, in a, an adorable way. But it is saying we're going to put as much of you back into the space as possible. What you're talking about with mobility and drones and self-driving cars is saying we're going to give your time back to you, so you can focus on whatever you need to do instead of focusing on operating a machine that's going from one place to another. Well, that stuff to me is it is so enormously powerful in thinking about. The information that we're sharing is is actually about like thoughts and feelings um, in as directive a way as possible. Well, I I, I think you're right. Uh, I think there's another branch though that we shouldn't forget. Uh, it's the branch that a, a little while ago in this conversation I told you I deliberately chose to ignore. Although yeah. actually, all those people read my columns anyway, so it was <laughs> perfect. 
But and that's the branch that doesn't necessarily want their time back. They want to tinker uh, and, yeah. and DIY with all this stuff. And so there'll be people take drones. Uh, my wife actually bought me a drone uh, for my birthday. Uh, Which one? It's just a cheap. She just bought a yeah. cheap, you know, toy kind of drone, not a Phantom. But mm-hmm. um, uh, so there'll be people who will go out and fly drones for, you know, just purely recreation entertainment with their kids for an hour, and that'll be it. There'll be people who, for that, for them, that will be a super hobby. They'll mod them. They'll. It'll be just like cars in the fifties, you know. Uh, where mm-hmm. where people uh, you know competed to see who could do the most amazing paint job, who could over you know uh, I was going to say overclock, which is a PC thing <laughs> that's similar, but you know the idea of making the engine do more than the manufacturer intended for it to do, and I think people would do that with drones, and I think they'll do that with some of these other uh, products. Who knows the dog treat. Uh, sling device could be made into God knows what. I don't know. But so you have people like that and then you have other people who I agree with you just want want their time back. Um, ironically, you could say if I knew in 1991 what the iPhone uh, on my desk right now could do, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would it would just blow my mind. Even in 1996, uh, when the Palm Pilot came out, it would have blown my mind. But so if I choose to use it in a certain way, it saves me a lot of time in my life, Com- cer- yeah. certainly compared to all the setup and the slots and the cards and all the stuff you used to have to do with PCs. But as you know, it also is a giant time suck. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and everything you know. right now, all these connected devices are all giant times. I'm not saying they're great. I'm not saying we're there, right? Like every uh, – what do I have in my house right now? Um I have like a smart light bulb. Every now and again, the smart light bulb uh, forgets its Wi-Fi network, and I have to go and set it up again. You know what's a lot simpler than that? A light bulb. Yeah, right. It's it's fundamental. It's like that's why I don't have any smart light bulbs in my house. I just I, I literally got a pleading email from the manufacturer of a smart light bulb this morning saying, "I notice you wrote in a column." Uh, earlier this year, you don't have any smart light bulbs. We really would love to get you. <laughs> to, which hue would you like? We'd love to send them to you, you know. And I'm yeah. like, I don't really don't need it. No thanks. Yeah, no, and and there are big questions about it too, right? If you bet on one of these small companies, and these early columns you sent me, a lot of them are small companies that are just gone. They are. Um, but if you bet on one of these small companies now, you have no idea what's going to happen, right? Nest bought Revolve, and then shut Revolve down. So everybody yep. who is building their little home ecosystem around Revolve is screwed. They're just screwed. So there, right. there's going to be a lot of messy uh, space that is upcoming. But that space, I think, is that's where the tinkerers and the hobbyists and the enthusiasts get to kind of like have a little taste of the future before it hits the mainstream. And that, but I think I think the perfect product is one that serves both those audiences. In other words, I've I've always felt this way about software too. You could present a simple interface for software that's great for everyone and then have a kind of menu or set of menus behind it that lets the tinkerers do whatever they want. You really can build a product for both kinds of people. And uh, not every product has to be for both kinds of people, but you can you can do it. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out was Apple, since we started talking yeah. about Apple. So Apple made – the greatest gad, the greatest pre-iPhone gadget, because I kind of divided the world in, uh, uh, by the into the, the with the dividing point being the introduction of the iPhone uh, for for purposes of this column. They made what I consider the greatest pre-iPhone gadget of all, which was the iPod, and it was just like an amazing thing. No, I mean you just just try to remember those of you who can, back to 2001, 15 years ago, when a company that was kind of, it had kind of righted itself by then, it was not going bankrupt, but it still had a tiny share in computers. Uh, You could see they were doing something good with computers, but it was still pretty early. And then they just brought out this thing that wasn't a computer. 
Uh, I mean, it was a computer, of course, in, in, in a small C way, but it was a gadget. It was a gadget, and, it was, and, and there were other ones out there. The Nomad Jukebox I gave a very good review yeah. to. I had one of those. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'll, uh, can I do a tangent on the Nomad Jukebox? Do a tangent on the Nomad Jukebox. So the Nomad Jukebox was a MP3 player. It had a hard disk. But the company, Creative Labs, decided it should look like a portable CD player. Uh-huh. Remember the portable yeah, CD yeah. players? I don't think they ever were really big, but they were around. The jukebox, was that, that CD-looking jukebox, the Nomad Jukebox, one of the ugliest products of all time. Super ugly. Yeah. At the time, I had a gig of going on the CBS early show, the CBS morning, you know, the one that competes with the Today Show. I don't remember the name of it. And I would do go on, and I think, once a week or something and do a gadget segment live, live, uh, with whoever was the host. And... Whoever was the host and I, we didn't rehearse this, right? I'm showing them that it's a solid state device with MP3s, and the guy is try- kept trying to open the top and change the CD. He kept saying, "Where's the CD?" <laughs> <laughs> this is on live t- network TV, and I'm saying, "No, no, no. There's no CD in there." Yeah, smiling all the time, thinking I can't understand. I did it. I did. Like a minute before we went on, explain to this guy there was no CD in there. But yeah, what could I tell you? Well, it's it's kind of that move of you wanted to, you know, you have this new idea, but you want it to look familiar so people will think it's familiar. Right. But what Steve Jobs did was it didn't look like anything you'd ever seen before. Right. And it wasn't just that it was small, although today it looks huge if you look at it. It wasn't just that it was small. It wasn't just that it held. A thousand songs, or, and, and actually, in my test, thirteen hundred songs, which seemed like all the songs you would ever want to hear. Uh, it was the click wheel thing mm-hmm. that was an amazing, and it had a UI, uh, even though it was black and white at first. Uh, the UI that was not kind of a file and folder tree, which a lot of these devices had. So it was really. Uh, so my point about Apple is. When you talk about that, when you then talk about the iPhone, which was a kind of gadget at first, now it's sort of your main computer, they were pretty good at doing gadgets. Yeah. And I don't know whether they'll be any, you know, whether they'll be in the game on the future generation of gadgets, but they're certainly, I think, spending R&D money, even though their revenues went down. Mm-hmm. And, and let's be clear, they're still highly profitable Yeah, I mean, company. it's like... Complaining about ten billion dollars in profit yeah. is very yeah. I hard. mean, you get you get a fifty billion dollar quarter. It's a huge disappointment. I mean, people would kill for a fifty <laughs> billion dollar year. Never mind a fifty billion dollar quarter. But but one of the things they pointed out was that, or one of the analysts pointed out, and that they defended was they're increasing operating expenses significantly. And I'm thinking to myself, listening to this very dry earnings call. Of course they are. It costs a lot of money to. Uh, research a car, to build a car, to build uh, VR and AR and all the things that we suspect they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same is true of Google, which has pared down a lot of projects that it, it, Larry Page doesn't think are, is, are going anywhere, but is highly focused on the future stuff uh, that he thinks are going to be the big bets. And Facebook, yeah. which is uh, do, which just hired away Regina Dugan, as we, I think, talked about a couple weeks ago to do hardware for them. I don't know what hardware, but it'll be really interesting. And, of course, Microsoft. So um, I, th- I think we're in for great gadgets, and that's just from the companies we know. Right. It's not from the future, I don't know, die cams, <laughs> uh, which, which made that camera. Yeah, and the amount of stuff that – the amount of just I, – I think about it – I don't I keep using this term, and I don't know if it makes any sense – People tweet at me if this doesn't make any sense. I keep thinking about it in terms of surface area, right? You need surface area for innovation. And for the longest time, the surface area of innovation was the screen of a phone. All of the money went to, well, this is the new platform. Everyone's going to have it in their pockets. We've got to build an app that connects to a service that goes in the app store. we got to put an app on the home screen of the phone, and then you click on the app, and now that's our, that's our, that's our company, right? It's... This set of apps. And I think 
Apple has a number of challenges in the App Store. Casey Newton wrote a great piece uh, about a month ago now um, about yeah. companies that are finding it hard to succeed in the App Store. Apple's moved Phil Schiller over to to like rethink that whole thing. That was an announcement they made. Um, you look at the Android Store, uh, you don't see the big companies investing heavily in building their business on Android devices in that way. It, you know, no, it, actually, they announced in their earnings call something like, I think they said they get 90%, some huge number, like 80% or something of the profits from apps yeah. of all, you know, on both platforms. I mean, it's all iOS and not uh, Android, even though Android ha- actually has more apps more now in their app store and many more devices. Yeah, uh, but it's just the way the economies work. But uh, but uh, the, my point, regardless of these like granular details, my point is all of the money in the tech industry for for a while was focused on the the screen of the phone, right? Here's where the people are. Here's where the platform is. Here's where the devices are. And now that that market just got really hard. It got really saturated. Getting an app on the home screen of a phone requires. Basically, investing millions of dollars in Facebook marketing—that's that's true, and and that, and that's if it's only software. Yeah, if we're talking hardware gadgets, it's an app and the gadget, like that scent, yeah, uh, thing that we wrote about this morning, which is an app and a gadget, and the gadget, the gadget is just like a Glade plugin without <laughs> the app, right. right? And and the app. Can't do anything without the gadgets. So, but neither neither of them can do anything without the phone screen, that right. surface area you're talking about. So, I like that concept. But it's, it's what's interesting concept. to me is, well, as the phone screen got harder and harder to compete on, you know, it's like the it's like you squeeze the balloon in one part, the other part of the balloon gets bigger. The money rushed away from it because it's harder. The return on investment is riskier, and that's where you see all this other stuff just sort of happening around it. And then. You know, we, we started talking about uh, components and modems and CD-ROMs and stuff. You see the componentry around the phone. You know, VR, If there's no reason for you to have a 4K phone screen as far as I can tell. I've looked at some 4K phones. They're beautiful. But you, honestly, you really cannot tell the difference. I don't that. even think there's a reason to have a 4K laptop to be honest. Yeah, but – when you, I reviewed one of those, and but if you think about what's happened, and there's, you know, we earlier I said I don't think, you know, I think mobile broadband is like effectively fast enough. But then you you get to VR, where you put the phone in a headset, and you cut literally cut the display in half and show, you know, right and left, and you put it in a headset. Well, now there's a great reason to have an ultra high resolution phone screen because you're cutting it in half all the time. And yeah. there's a great reason to have a 5G network because you need to yeah. send twice the amount of data to the phone to enable VR. There's a great reason to have higher end graphics processors. You know, gaming PCs and gaming laptops, you would not think these were high growth areas of the technology industry, but VR is going to make them that way for a minute. Because that's what you need to power all these experiences, and people for don't a minute. want them. For, for a, a minute. minute, but you, but but you know, you just said something that I think is also uh, surprisingly for you really smart, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is that if I, as I was going over all these old columns I wrote, and the ones I didn't send you actually, which concerned uh, PCs, mm-hmm. uh, PC buyers guide, I would do one in the spring and one in the fall every year. And there, I still get the occasional email wondering where that went. I'm not writing those, but um, well, I got to tell you, PC buyers got his due next <laughs> on my desk next week. <laughs> yeah, it's not happening, Eli. Um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, what do the listeners think our relationship at work is? I don't know. It's me. Uh, I, you know, I'm I'm terrible. I'm <laughs> screaming all the time. <laughs> and I just ignore you. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically it's, what it's it is. Exactly what you want. Uh, But here's the thing. Why did I write those and what were they about? They were about how much hard disk to buy, what – you know, that you didn't necessarily need the highest level processor but you needed a certain kind of processor. What – I had to explain to people what a GPU was in these PCs. The this PC now came, uh, uh, you know, uh, with built-in CD-ROM drive or a built-in modem that was of a certain speed, whatever. Uh, and it, 
Windows and the Mac OS kept pushing the boundaries of what the processors could do and what the other hardware in the thing could do, this, or the screen and the speakers and everything else. So it was moving really fast, and you had to keep writing about it. And, and then it hit a period where they're pretty much all the same or very similar, and your main difference is are you a Mac person are you, or are you a Windows person? Uh, the hardware is is you know I, I would argue that the MacBook Air basically set it up and that everyone else has been chasing it, but that's it for now. Maybe it, I know there are detachables and hybrids, but I just don't think people use them. Uh, except the, the overwhelming number of people use them as clamshell laptops, and if you ask the vendors off the record, they will tell you that. So. Um, you know, that has flattened out at – and it doesn't mean it's a failure. It's a great thing. But it's it just got to a point where the software wasn't pushing you to get new hardware. And uh, we're not quite there yet on smartphones, particularly when you look at it globally. And there's a lot of markets that haven't even begun. Uh, we're not quite there, but we can see it. We're in the – uh, I think John Fort on my TV appearance today said it's like the seventh inning and it's not the first inning, and I think he's probably right. So that means there's more of the game to go, maybe even some extra innings, but most of the game has been played. So there's there is you may you are right that it will depend on these new things that are being built to push everything else forward and we're in you know tech always does that well you know it's this it's funny because I, I just finally bought my wife a new laptop after saddling her with this ancient macbook air forever because we were always at the wrong point in the upgrade cycle and it seems like we were just always missing it um but the new, the new macbooks came out the the little retina ones uh upgraded right. core m processors and they're like you know teeter did hands-on he's doing a review and like I, I played with the review unit in the office i was like this is fine it's fast um and i bought it for her and i was thinking while i was setting up it's that's it's fine like, she likes it it's a little she can literally put it in her purse um it's beautiful i stare at D Dieter uses one it's his main computer to run the verge literally every day and i stare at it jealously every day but while i was like ordering this little thin and light you know not literally they apple chose to make it less powerful by using a smaller chip um, a smaller less powerful chip the core m instead of one of the bigger chips Dieter right. and I, at the same time, were tweeting about wanting to buy gaming laptops that could run VR headsets. And I, the, the difference in thought there is just it – I, I was just it's, – it's a wild juxtaposition that the industry – on the one hand, you have Apple saying they don't need to get faster. They actually need to get smaller, more power efficient, more beautiful – um, you see, HP just put out the new Spectre, which is very much the same sort of idea. We're going to make it more beautiful. We're not going to even put a touchscreen on it. We're going to focus this product on its on what it is. And then you have just down, like around the corner, you have well, if you want to run the Oculus Rift or the HTC Vive, right now you need this like water cooled thing. But there's already going to be a next generation of gaming laptops that is you know, they're going to be huge and noisy and whatever um, hot. Um, but you can plug the headset into those. So you start to need the additional power. And it's, you know, I, I think what we know about the computer industry now after years and years is the market segments and people want different things and those segments are fine. But the high-end part of the laptop segment hasn't been very interesting for a very long time. And you might see you might see that turn in a way yeah, that's you surprising. Might. You might. It'll never be as big as the as the mainstream part of the laptop segment. But right, because what, be what you need is the power might be for a the, good good business for some of these guys but i would remind you that only about 10 minutes ago here you pointed out that this necessity for super powerful separate pc or playstation type mm -hmm. hardware to run these things will last for a minute yeah and that's gonna be a fun you know, minute it's gonna be a fun minute particularly if you're making those things but uh, in the long run, what you bought your wife, and I, I, I won't even get into why you had to buy it for your wife, who I assume is much smarter than you, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, she's um, smart enough to delegate. 
<laughs> to delegate, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, my wife does that too. Actually, there was there was no. Like, it wasn't me. Like, like, like when, it, it was I was ordered to complete a task for her. Right. Like my my wife is one of those people who who would not give up her four inch iPhone, and so when she saw the SE came out come out, yeah. she just let me know that I could now upgrade her. <laughs> not that she would bother with it, but that I could now upgrade Oh, yeah. No, Becky, Becky had no <laughs> – it was very much – I saw the new thing came out. When are you ordering it for me? It was a, it was a very direct <laughs> yeah. conversation. Um, but yeah. she's been – I mean, she, her computer's like – I don't know why. She insisted when the, when the first Retina MacBook came out, I was like, can I buy this for you? And she said, well, it's slow. And I said, well, your computer's slow. She said, well, it has to be at least a little bit faster. So then she waited yet another year. So Yeah. But Nope, she's a smart woman. But think about this. Um, the phones, the 3GS, so the iPhone, the first iPhone came out. The next iPhone, the 3G, they, they changed the case slightly. But virtually the only upgrade to that phone was the speed of the modem, which was a huge upgrade. And then the 3GS, virtually the only upgrade to that one was the speed of the processor. Like fundamentally, that you know, some little right. pieces here and there changed. That was the phone needed to get more powerful. There was a minute when every Android phone had the same like 528 megahertz Qualcomm processor. And as a gadget blogger, I would write post after post about the 50 HTC phones that came out that day, and they all had the same processor. And we would bemoan the fact that the next generation of Qualcomm processors was not out because these phones are all a little too slow. I cannot think you know now years later I can't think of a major hardware upgrade I'm looking for on any of the flagship phones. I'm not really looking for a faster processor. I, th- there's nothing about what I do with a phone every day that is laggy or slow. The cameras like you said earlier, they're fine. They they some if you do it right, they can take beautiful photos, they can shoot 4K video. Um you can put them on a billboard. You can put them on a billboard. Un- unretouched. Um, you can. The screens are beautiful. The mo- the the mobile networking is fast. There isn't a piece of hardware in the phone right now that would, except for the fact that I'm a gadget nerd, is going to really compel me to buy the next iPhone, which is a huge challenge for Apple. Right? The thing either has to have some, it either has to solve some huge problem that everyone has, which is it's slow or the networking is slow or the screen isn't beautiful, or barring that, and I think Apple's very good at this. It has to look so cool or be so beautiful that it becomes a status symbol and everyone has to buy it. Those are kind of the two choices. Or they have to come up with something that even you and I haven't thought of. And That's fair. Um, they're, you know. Was 3D well, touch that thing for you? Well, it, I thought it might be, but I don't think it has been. And uh, maybe just because people haven't taken advantage of it or maybe because it just – wasn't the thing i don't know but um you know that this goes for apple but it also goes for uh, samsung and it, and and uh, i think i still think google's gonna make phones mm-hmm. so i would say it goes for them too and that's the challenge they have i mean i remind you of my they didn't like when i wrote the next <laughs> iphone better be spectacular but there's a reason for that yeah. So and now, in terms um, of these earnings, that column again, yeah, Walt, we, Walt is like the the time to visionary <laughs> status is getting shorter and shorter now. That's very, that's funny. <laughs> I think we should I think we should remind listeners at this point in the podcast, which is almost over, that uh, we don't own stock in these companies. We don't. Uh, so when we talk about Apple and earnings and all that kind of stuff and and revenues. Uh, I mean, you know, it doesn't affect our personal finances in any way. In fact, it makes people want to read what we write more. So whether they go way up and it's an amazing rags to riches story, which it still is, or they have a couple of down quarters or maybe four down, I don't know what they're going to have. Uh, it's all good for us. We're fine. But uh, we don't make personally make any money off it or lose any money off it. Uh, so anyway – I feel like I've been writing Circuit Breaker <laughs> most of my life. Well, and we're going to get you back on it. We're going we're gonna to put uh, you on gas long shifts. There, yeah. There's something – I will, and again, now I am just going to pitch Circuit Breaker to the listener. Whatever. You, you've All been right. here for an hour. You're going you're gonna to deal with um, two minutes of this. Uh, there's something about this moment that lends itself to 
to being enthusiastic about small changes. And I, I want to be really clear. Like the enthusiasm isn't about you should buy this stuff. The enthusiasm isn't about this is definitely going to be successful. The, the enthusiasm is there's a lot of smart people in the tech industry thinking about what the next generation of technology should do um, and making little tweaks around the edges. And it's all those little tweaks in succession and in totality that tell us a story about the future. I think telling that story about big products over the last five years on the phone has been really challenging because there hasn't been a lot of edge innovation. I think now we're seeing the phone market is maturing. It's pretty clear. And the edge innovation is happening everywhere. And the best way to tell those stories is by checking in every day and writing a little story every day instead of writing lots and lots of big stories. So like, I am ridiculously excited about this. It's also going to allow me to write more, which I'm very excited about because the stories are so short. Uh, and it's going to let us have a lot of fun. So that's there it is. At the end of this, you can mail your donations to Circuit Breaker, care of Walt Mossberg. Uh, <laughs> Slash Fox Walt. Uh, they go to me. Yeah, um, exactly. Look, uh, one of the byproducts of thinking about Circuit Breaker, talking to you about it, you and I have talked about it uh, considerably, and also uh, doing this column where I went back and looked at all these old things I'd written about was I felt very fortunate and still do really, uh, but especially when I think of the sweep of those particular years, I feel very fortunate to be able to have introduced these things to people and explained them to people and tried them out even if they were off target or didn't work or even if I was critical of aspects of them because there's been a gigantic revolution and we as journalists often don't make the revolution, but we certainly uh, are uh, explaining it to people and bringing it to people. And I think it continues after a kind of a lull period. It continues. We're back. And we're back. Back. Gadgets, and we're done. Gadgets and back. And we're back and we're, we're done. back and we're done. So that was the show. <laughs> uh, please immediately listen to all of our other shows. I know that... That's what you want to do now. So listen to the Vergecast. I won't be on the Vergecast this week because I'm traveling, actually. Um, Dieter will be hosting the Vergecast with Paul Miller, who's editor of Circuit Breaker. Uh, we, so it'll be a better Vergecast. It'll be a better, sure. I think, more focused, less yeah. less aggressive Vergecast. Uh, then we have uh, Lauren Good's show, which is wonderful. Um, too embarrassed to ask. We have Chris Plant's show, uh, What's Tech. Emily and Liz uh, run Verge ESP Entertainment Science Podcast. Uh, Kara Swisher has Recode Decode, which is wonderful. And Peter Kafka has uh, Recode Media, which is... Right? Is it Recode Media? Is that what it's called? I think that's what it's called. That's yeah. what it's called. That's actually my favorite one. I should know what it's called. Um, I love that one. It's particularly interesting to me. Um, but a uh, universe of audio programming for you on The Verge and Recode. We encourage you to listen all. Uh, and you can get a hold of Walt and I on Twitter. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. I am at Reckless. We love it when you send us intro suggestions. I'm actually keeping track of them now instead of fumbling for them before every show. Uh, so please send those along. <laughs> uh, and send us, you know, go open, open iTunes on your desktop computer. Walt wrote a great review of it in... 1975. Uh, and <laughs> and hit, hit five stars so everybody else knows how good we are. Uh, okay, that was it. Thank you so much for And listening. soon you'll be able to get this podcast on your trio. <laughs> on your yeah. yeah, over your 144K modem. De Dieter and I are working on it. We're working on it. I love it. All right, that was that was a ramble, but a, I think a fun one, man. That was. Thank you so much, Walt. That was great. That was good. Thank you. Thank you.